Welcome to another podcast for Risen.Church. We're glad you tuned in with us today. And today I want to speak to you about reading the Bible and the importance of how to read the Bible. Uh, I remember in my early days when I first got back into church as a young man, I was taught that a great way to read the Bible was to read a chapter of Proverbs. Since there's 31 chapters, you read one chapter a day. And then since there's 150 Psalms, to read five Psalms a day. And in a month's time, you would read through the whole book of Psalms and a book of Proverbs. And then to read a little bit from the Old Testament and a little bit from the New Testament. And that way you get in kind of a, a whole picture of the Bible every day that you sit down and read as opposed to just starting in Genesis and working your way through the Old Testament and starting in Matthew and finishing at Revelation for a year. And so um, I can remember in doing that, it didn't take many months that I started realizing that on the day that I got to the 119th Psalm, it being the longest Psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, that by the time I got through reading that one psalm, I was almost through the allotted time that I gave myself for all the Bible reading. And so as a young man, I caught myself on those days of every month of getting to the 119th psalm, and I was basically speed reading through the 119th psalm, not even comprehending anything about the psalm. And so I finally decided I need to fix this problem. I need to quit speed reading and find out what it was. So I decided to uh, take a commentary out that I had uh, by Charles Spurgeon called The Treasury of David. It's a three-volume set, and it's his exegetical notes about every one of the Psalms. And I thought, well, I'll read what Spurgeon has to say about the 119th Psalm. I didn't even begin to think about the fact that being 176 verses that he's going to use quite a few pages of his commentary to be able to write what he sees in the 119th Psalm. And sure enough, it was about 50 pages of one of the three volumes about the 119th Psalm. So I kind of just like scratched my head and said, okay, well, I'm going to read through this because I need to find out what I'm missing. And most people, since the Psalm is not entitled in the Scripture, it doesn't have a heading to it like some of the others do, most people always just refer to it as the longest Psalm. But Charles Spurgeon, after in his titling of it, he said he called it the praise of the Scripture. And the reason why is because he said there are like eight words that are used in the 119th Psalm for what we would call today the Bible. And those words are commands, precepts, testimonies, the law, the word, ordinances, statutes, and judgments. And he said out of the 176 verses, there are only three verses that do not have at least one of those eight words in it. And that's verse 90, verse 122, and verse 132. And so I was like, well, I got to check this out. So I got my Bible out and I started reading from verse 1 of Psalm 119, marking each one of those words that I could find to see if that was correct. And sure enough, it was. When I got through, only those three verses did not have one of those eight words in there. And then his thing about being the praise of the scripture, he said that he believed that the theme of every verse, not just the 119th Psalm in general, but all the 176 verses, the theme of each verse was Psalm 1-2. He loves the Lord's teaching and he thinks about those teachings day and night. Every one of the 176 verses had that as its theme. And I began to think to myself, well, if that's true, 
if that second verse of the first psalm is that important to the psalmist that writes about the praise of the scripture, I thought, what is it that I've missed about the first psalm? So I began to study the first psalm again. And I remember in doing that, that uh, at that time, my, my two daughters were in junior high school, and I was trying to teach them the importance of memorizing Scripture. And so we had gone and bought a translation that Billy Graham had recommended called the New Century Version. It was a brand new edition of the Bible that had come out just a year or two before that. And it was written on a, it was translated into a third grade reading level. And that way, uh, people and even children and could understand the Bible and it was written in simple sentences and everything. So we began to work uh, through that Bible to memorize these six verses. And Psalm 1 says, Happy is the person who doesn't listen to the wicked. He doesn't go where sinners go, and he doesn't do what bad people do. He loves the Lord's teaching. He thinks about those teachings day and night. He is strong like a tree planted by a river. It produces fruit in season. Its leaves don't die. Everything he does prospers. But the wicked people aren't like that. They're like the useless chaff that the wind blows away. Um, so the wicked will not escape God's punishment, and sinners will not worship God with good people. This is because the Lord protects good people, but the Lord will destroy the wicked. So those are the six verses of the first psalm that we memorized together as, as a family. And this is really talking to us about there are two kinds of people in the world out of these six verses. It's talking about the people that God, or the person that God blesses, and it talks about the person that God judges. And of course, the first three verses are the ones that are talking to us about the person that God blesses. Now, some people live in this life and they want to have uh, eternity taken care of, and they go to church, they do everything the church requires, and then they when they're not in church, even though they go to church, they live their life the way they want to, and they involve themselves in doing whatever they want to do and then go back to church almost as a penance for the way they're living their life and hoping that God is pleased with them. But uh, this verse, uh, these first three verses really tell us about what it means to walk with God and how to please God and to become a person that God is going to bless. Um, and Peter is one of the examples about listening to the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be uh, betrayed. He's going to be handed over, and he didn't want them to be around. But when Jesus uh, was arrested, Peter followed at a distance. And it got him in trouble because all of a sudden, in following Jesus, he went to the courtyard where the sinners were. And as he entered into there, it wasn't long till you see him sitting by the fire, warming his hands. And then he sat down in the council of the wicked and the ungodly. And it got him into such deep trouble that by the time Jesus came, came by, and as Jesus told him before the sun would rise and the rooster would crow, that Peter would deny the Lord three times. And sure enough, he did. It's because he didn't obey the word that the Lord had spoke to him. So the first verse talks to us about that. The person that God blesses is the one who is separated from the world. That verse one says, happy is the person who doesn't listen to the wicked. He doesn't go where uh, the bad people go. and He doesn't do 
what bad people do. And you can see how it's a progression. If we begin to let our mind wrestle with the truth of God's Word and say it doesn't really matter here, then we start listening to other people. Then we start hanging around with them, and it won't be long that we're like Peter, going to be doing the very things that contradict the Word of God, and we're not going to be separated from the world. And a person that God blesses, first of all, is separated from the world. But the second verse tells us another important aspect about the person that God blesses. He's not only separated from the world, but he's saturated in the Word. He loves the Lord's teaching. He thinks about those teachings day and night. I mean, just totally saturated in the law of God. Their delight is in the Word of God. It is the love for and the obedience to the Word of God that helps us become the kind of person that God blesses. And in in Joshua, as Joshua was taking control of leader of the whole nation of Israel and taking them into the promised land, uh, God reiterated to him the importance about the law of God. He told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do the things to observe all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So the person that God blesses is the one who is separated from the world, but it also is saturated in the Word of God. And to saturate ourselves in the Word of God is not simply just to read it and then close our books and then go on about our daily task. It's to meditate on that Word of God day and night. It's to get God's Word not only in our head, but in our heart so that it, it permeates throughout our entire being. And literally, to meditate on the Word of God is as important as digestion is to the Bible. If you sat down at a nice steak dinner, and all you did was cut the steak up, and you put a piece of steak in your mouth, and you chewed it for three or four times, and then you spit it out, how much nutrition would you get out of that piece of steak? Not a lot. You might get a good taste out of it. You might really be enthralled by what it tastes like, but you've really got to digest that meat before it's going to do anything to give your body the the power and the energy that it needs to, to live. And it's the same with the Word of God. It doesn't help us just to go once a week and hear somebody talk about the Word of God. It doesn't help us just to open our Bibles for five minutes every morning and then to close it and forget about it. We need to think and concentrate it on what the Word of God says so that it, it infiltrates the, every f- uh, fiber of our life as we live and walk and work the way that God wants us to. Jeremiah the prophet says about God's Word, your words are found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. Jeremiah was obviously a man of God that meditated upon the Word of God, and his life was directed because he was meditating on the Word of God day and night. So we have a person that God blesses. He's going to be separated from the world. He's going to be saturated in the Word. But the third verse tells us the, the final thing about the person that God blesses. It's going to be a person who is situated by the water. Verse 3 says, He is strong like a tree planted by the river. It produces fruit in season. Its leaves don't die. Everything He does 
succeeds and prospers. And why? Because like a strong tree that's planted by the river, it has the taproot that's going way down and not just depending upon the surface water for its nourishment. That taproot is going deep down into the earth to get water that is unseen. And so the person that God blesses is the one that is saturated and situated by, saturated by the word and situated by the water. And that tree stands out there in the open, and it goes through all the different elements of the weather, and all the things that can beset it are right there in the world. And when we, as a person that God blesses, and when we have ourselves situated by the water, it doesn't matter if things are cold outside or things are hot outside. It doesn't matter if things are going good or things are going bad for us. We have that taproot that's deep into the foundation so that God can sustain us no matter what the world does to us. And so the person that God blesses, those first three verses just outline it so clearly. Separated from the world, saturated with the word, and situated by the water. And so if you want to be the kind of person that God blesses, I hope and pray you'll look for those kinds of things to be a part of your life and make that happen. And when you look at those three verses, I think it's very interesting to notice the connection that those have with a very important teaching that Jesus did in the New Testament. Just before he was to be betrayed and to be handed over to the officials for his crucifixion, Jesus was teaching his disciples one last time in an upper room. And most of that is found for us in the Gospel of John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had those words. They were imprinted on his heart, and he wrote them down for us to be able to enjoy. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse uh, uh, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except by me and through me. And what does Psalm 1-1 say? Happy is the person who doesn't listen to the wicked. He doesn't go where sinners go. He doesn't do what bad people do. That's the way to live our life. Then Jesus said, I am the truth. What does verse 2 of Psalm 1 says? He loves the Lord's teachings. He thinks about those teachings day and night. That is the truth. And then Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the, the life. The tree that's planted by the water has that deep taproot that goes down, and it has everything it needs to sustain life. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. That's the kind of person that God blesses. But the psalm doesn't stop after verse 3. It goes on with three more verses, and it tells us the kind of person that God judges. We see all these wonderful things about the person God blesses, But then it says in verse 4, but the wicked people are not like that. They're not like the strong tree. They're not one who delights in the law of the God. They're not one that removes themselves from the wicked. They are like the useless chaff that the wind blows away. John the Baptist even told us that that chaff was going to be burned up in the fire. So the person that God judges is like that useless chaff. And it shows us that there is a coming judgment. Because Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that our God is a consuming God, a fire that consumes. And he's going to do away with all the dross. And the Bible says here that that person won't be able to stand in the judgment. And what that means to me is it doesn't mean that they're not going to, it doesn't mean that they won't be there 
at Judgment Day. It will be there in Judgment Day. And when the reality of who Jesus is hits them, they will not be able to stand in that judgment. They will fall flat on their face, bowing their knee to to Jesus and confessing that he truly is the Lord. The person that God judges is like the useless chaff because they've gone their own way. They're doing their own things. They're having their fulfillment of the things of the world and judgment's going to come to them. Now, verse 6 tells us that uh, he loves the Lord's teaching and the Lord protects those who are good, but the wicked will be destroyed. The uh, King James Version says they do not know him. And that word doesn't mean it's just an acquaintance. Uh, it's not just an intellectual uh, acceptance of who he is. Um, it's like I could say, I know the names of the first four gospel of the, of the Bible. I know that they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's an intellectual fact that I've come to accept, and I can say that. But when the Bible says that the Lord doesn't know them, it's conveying the idea of choosing and caring. The Lord knows those who are his. And as the Father knows me, Jesus says, even so, I know the Father. And the worst words anybody could ever hear at that judgment is when Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And what's interesting, I always thought that when I looked at that, when Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount, I always thought, he said, depart from me, you sinner. He says, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Jesus is the only way to be able to get right with God and to be able to know that heaven is in your future. The ungodly have turned to the path, as Isaiah says, they have all gone their own way. And that leads to death and destruction. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death and destruction. But the path of the righteous is the path that leads us to the glory that God has created and to the glory that he wants us to become back to the original design that he had for us when we are reconciled into our life with Christ. So this psalm really tells us there's about two kinds of people and there's two different ways that you can go. And Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 about the two different uh, two things. He said there's two ways. There's the broad path that leads to destruction, and there's the narrow way that leads to life. He also talked about the two trees. There's one tree that bears good fruit, and there's one tree that bears bad fruit. And the bad, fruit, uh, bad tree, uh, the tree that produces bad fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And then there's two houses as Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount. He said there's one house that's built upon a rock. And when the storms come, that house still stands. But then there's another house that's built upon the sand. And the same storms attack both homes. And the one that's built on the rock stands, and the one that's built upon the sand is destroyed, all because they're following the wrong way. Why are the godly law, the ungodly people lost. Why do they face judgment? Because they prefer the things of the world more than they do the Word of God. And so I hope and pray that you've come to that point where you've come to the conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to earth and he lived, he was born of a virgin, he lived that that perfect life, and he willingly offered himself up as the sacrifice for our sin so that he carried our punishment and he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, but on the third day he was raised from the dead. 
And if you've believed that, then it's time for you to not only love him, but to begin to know his words and to begin to obey his words. And that begins by complete surrender to him as Lord of your life. It's a daily surrender. It's not a one-time prayer that you pray and then, whew, oh boy, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to heaven when I die. Now I can do what I want. No. If you're going to be this person who listens to the Word of God daily, you're going to recommit your life to saying, Lord, use me today for your glory the same way you used your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And then it continues by being separated from the world. It's a complete surrender and being separated from the things of this world, not isolated from the world, but unattached. Don't let those things get uh, where they're on you and they start to pull you down or to dirty your life. Stay away from those kinds of things, and it results in the satisfaction of not only life here on earth, of being blessed, no matter what's going on. Your taproot of faith is down deep in the Lord, and whether you, you consider things that around you are good or the circumstances are bad, you have that life, that uh, abundant life that Jesus came to promise to give to us. So I hope and pray that you are that kind of person that God is going to bless because you have separated yourself from the world. You are saturated in the Word of God, and you are situated by the water and dependent upon Jesus Christ. And I hope that's blessed you today. And if it has, please take time to rate and review this for us if you would like to. And if you have any questions or comment, again, you can email those questions or comments to me at mike at risen, and you spell risen, R-I-Z-E-N, risen.church. And if you do, I'll be glad to respond to you. Thank you, and I hope you have a blessed day.